The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I am your host Jimbo, and I'm your co-host Kyle. Kyle, Happy New Year, and welcome back. I feel like I haven't seen you all year. I know, <laughs> really, I haven't seen you in like six weeks, so it has I, been a while. I know we had a lot of stuff oh uh, recorded and up to date, and I think I still have one that I haven't released because I couldn't get the editing done right. So we still have another one in the can. You to had go. more backlog than I expected. I was happy about that, but well, you still, know, it's, it's been a while. <laughs> happy they, New Year to you, they, Jimbo. They make a pill for that <laughs> to release the backlog. <laughs> When's locked or congestion? <laughs> yeah. So, um, hope everyone had a, a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and Happy and, New, and Year. New Year. Hanukkah, right. so, Matzah. It's time to get back <laughs> into the swing of things. I'll be going back to work shortly, which I'm not a fan of. But Some of us already are. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I feel your pain. Not really. I'm enjoying my time. So <laughs> exactly I got what you don't feel. <laughs> i got a couple more days. So Nice. Um, so, of course, um, every time we record now, we record two movies we're gonna you know just let everybody know that so usually kyle picks one and i pick one so i guess to start off the new year we're gonna let kyle do his movie first you went oh oh okay yes yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, i so, thought we were announcing the next movies we're doing like why really? would That's we not, do that kyle this it was is... odd timing that's why i was confused <laughs> i was born yesterday jimbo <laughs> If you'd like to send your resume to the tragedy of cinema gmail.com for co-host responsibility. You couldn't get rid of me if I tried. <laughs> uh, so, Kyle, why don't you tell the lovely audience what movie you chose and why? Okay, the movie I chose was Duel, released in 1971. I chose this movie because it's one of my father's favorite movies when he watched it growing up um, back in 1971. <laughs> 
Uh, I want to date my the, the, for uh, 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 age date on my father right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it was a re- really interesting little film, kind of a precursor to the original Jaws. So I kind of wanted to cover this one for the podcast, and that's why I chose it. Right. Um, do you want to dive right into the details for it, Jimbo? Well, Kyle, I just have to make one statement. Okay. I was going to give you a question, but I'm going to let you slide. All right. Kyle, this is about an 18-wheeler um, basically having road rage against this poor guy that's just on a business trip, right? Yeah, The yeah. whole movie. Yeah. And it starts off right away. My question to you is, do you think that the truck that they used looks like Tomator on drugs from the car franchise? <laughs> Tomator on drugs. A tweaked-out Tomator. An 18-wheeler Tomator. And that's what the first thing that came yeah, to my yeah, mind. Yeah. Once the meth came in, <laughs> Tomator, he took, a, he took a hard turn. <laughs> I get what you're putting down, Jamal. I get what you're putting down. <laughs> the tomato or the <laughs> truck? Yes. <laughs> the truck pops up. The 18 wheeler's like, man, why'd you do that to me? <laughs> I don't sound nothing like they. Tomato. They definitely still have that rust and oil palette to them, and they have that exact same like metal palette almost in a weird way. <laughs> I get what you're putting down there. So that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Kyle. Let's take this away before we All derail right. this episode. Right. Duel released on November 13th of 1971 follows the story of a business commuter in, that is pursued and terrorized by a malevolent driver of a massive tractor trailer uh, once again uh, directed by Steven Spielberg this is Steven Spielberg's first um, feature length film largely considered this actually was a straight to TV movie back in the day though right I was going to say make sure you mention that because then it was re-released for a small theatrical run but it did so poorly they yanked it out real quick oh yeah yeah made, 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 it made virtually no money so I can use words there for a second or any other time in the podcast as you all aware <laughs> got ahead of you Jimbo don't worry <laughs> Yep. Film was Richard by uh, this film was written by Richard Matheson for the screenplay. You know what Richard, who Richard Matheson was, right? Uh, uh, th- there's a lineage lot there, sure. Of yeah. the Twilight Zone episodes. That's okay. That name did ring a bell since I read it. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, produced by George Eckstein. Composed by Billy Goldenberg. Cinematographer was Jack A. Marta, and editor was Frank Morris. Budget for the film was $450,000. I believe it's actually filmed over 11 days. I took notes here later for that. Um, adjusted for inflation, that'd be about $3.4 million today. Um, gross worldwide, and this is like that short little theatrical run that we think we're going to for that data on the IMD page at least, was a whopping $2,544. Kyle? Yeah. You want the good news or the bad news? What's the bad news? Jim, will tell you the bad news. It's not recording. So we're going to have to start all over. All over again? Awesome. High five. Yeah. You want the good news? Professional podcasting. What's the good good news? news? I was just kidding. (laughs) Continue on. I I have been betrayed. (laughs) And I will never recover from this. I don't... Carry on. What was that joke even? (laughs) Okay, $2,544 in just for inflation would come out to about $19,300,000. Basically nothing. <laughs> Presumably this money made its back made its money back through ad revenue for the direct TV movie right. spot it was like, you know, made for in the first place. So that's that information there. Um uh, moving on, we're going to cover some awards right uh, Yeah, some awards right here. Moving on to the cast uh, after that. Um, small little awards here. For 2015, it was given a... It was a partial reward for um, the best DVD slash Blu-ray collection as part of the Steven Spielberg Director's Collection from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. 
1973, for the Evores Fantastic Film Festival, it won the grand prize for, um, you know, a same film achievement. Um, Terramina International Film Festival in 1973 um, won the best won the prize for best first film award to Steven Spielberg, and also was nominated for a Golden Cherubis, I believe it's called, just here in Sewer as well. I have no idea what that award is supposed to be. In the 1972 uh, Golden Globes Award, it was actually nominated for best movie made for TV. And in the 1972 Primetime Emmy Awards, it was nominated for an outstanding achievement in cinematography for entertainment programming for a special program made for television. So that's a pretty cool nomination there. Um, and it also won the outstanding achievement in film sound editing. So that's really cool there. Moving on to the cast here. Um, very, very brisk kind of cast here where I'm only going to feel like Dennis Weaver is the main star, obviously. And then everyone else is kind of... Just scenery for the most part of this film. Um, so Dennis Weaver plays the main protagonist, David Mann. Dennis Weaver appeared in all such films as Touch of Evil in 1953. Um, he was in the McLeod TV show from 1970 to 1977. And the TV show Gunsmoke from 1955 to 1975. Um, so it's a lot of uh, great TV work there. Excellent actor in many respects. Next up, we have Jacqueline Scott playing Mrs. Mann, David Mann's wife, who has like like basically one scene in the movie where they have a phone uh, call exchange. Jacqueline Scott was also in the films Planet of the Apes in 1974, Charlie Verrick in 1973, and Empire of Ants in 1977. Next up, we have Eddie Firestone playing the cafe owner. Eddie Firestone was also in the films The Great Locomotive Chase in 1956, Two for the Seesaw in 1962. Then we have Louis Fizzle playing the bus driver. Louis Fizzle was in the films The Front Page in 1974 and the film The Other in 1972. Then we have Gene Darnowski playing the man in Cafe. Gene Darnowski was in the film All the President's Men in 1976. Lucille Benson uh, plays the role of the lady at the Snake uh, <laughs> the Snake Arama. <laughs> <laughs> Lucille Benson was also in the film 1941 and 1979. Um, then next up we have Tim Herbert playing the role of the gas station attendant. Tim Herbert was also in the film Soylent Green in 1973. <laughs> gas station attendant. Can you fill it with Ethel? I don't know if Ethel mine. I'll try. <laughs> It's good. It's a good, good job. <laughs> Next up, we have Charles Seal playing the role of old man. <laughs> Charles Seal was also in the film Westworld in 1973. Next up, we have Shirley O'Hara playing the role of waitress. Shirley O'Hara was also in the film Rocky in 1976. Next up, we have Alexander Lockwood playing the role of old man in car. Alexander Lockwood also appeared in Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977. Next up, we also have Amy Douglas playing the role of Old Woman in Car, and she was also in Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977. Then we have Dick Winnington playing the role of the radio interviewer. Um, Dick Winnington was also in the film Raging Bull in 1980. Then we have Carrie, Lo Carrie Loftkin um, playing the role of the truck driver. Um, Carrie Loftin was also in the film Vanishing Point in 1971, another great car film, and Patton in 1970, great war film. <laughs> So, Carrie Lofton there was the, basically the, the antagonist, really, even though he's not actually directly f shot through the entire film. But, of course, he is basically, you know, the main truck brain. <laughs> the truck itself is the villain. And then we have Dan Van Sickle playing the car driver. Dale Van Sickle was also in the film Zombies of the Stratosphere in 1952. That's a great title. <laughs> <laughs> then, finally, we have Sean Steinman 
playing the role of Girl on School Bus, who was uncredited in the role. Sean Steinman was also in the show What's the Matter with Helen in 1971. So she's the only one of the kids on the bus that got credited? Only one in the IMDb credits. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, some brief technical details of the film. The film's theatrical runtime is 90 minutes long, but its TV runtime was just 74 minutes long, um, presumably to fill an hour and a half programming time with ads in between to... 15 minutes of ads to pay off the film. The sound mix was a mono recording for West Trucks recording system, so just a one single channel recording mix on that thing. Color info, this is a Technicolor film, so it looks really good and crisp now because Technicolor looks awesome every time it's ever used. Aspect ratio, um, during the television ratio, it had a 1.33 by 1 ratio, so very kind of square 4 by 3 standard kind of stuff there. And then for the theatrical release, it was adjusted to a 1.85 by 1 theatrical ratio or like a 16 by 9 kind of aspect ratio overall. The cameras used were the Panavision R200, Panavision Superspeed Mark II lenses, with the Aeroflex 2A and Panavision Superspeed Super Speed Mark II lenses. And then film length came to a 2,475 meters. Um, and I believe that's all I have for the overall notes on Duel. Jimbo, take some of this from me. <laughs> give me some trivia. I'll give you trivia my own. Alright, Kyle, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, Jimbo. Alright, so as Kyle stated, this is pretty much, um, it starts off with basically a car backing out of a garage and just basically driving through Chicago, just mm-hmm. just like on a, a routine commute or like a, a business traveling kind right, of situation. Right, because he is a, like a, a, what would you say, a, he's a businessman, but like a door-to-door salesman, that's kind of... Around that general vibe, right. his, his, you know, well, a job that requires driving across states kind of regularly, you know. Right. <clears throat> so... During the chase, a park sedan resembling a squad car scene. Remember when he's trying to, he thinks it's a police officer on the side of the road. He's going to get help because yeah. his truck is bearing down on him. Um, so Dennis Weaver gets excited and he pulls over, you know, but it turns out it's just a service car for Pest Exterminator named Greplips. Basically, it's Spielberg spelled backwards. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's really dumb. That's really dumb. No, it's very funny, though. Uh, David Mann's car was what, Kyle? I don't remember what was the model number. 1970 Red Plymouth Valiant with California license plates, 149 PCE. My dad would be ashamed they didn't know that off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, near the beginning of the duel, the car's odometer showed it had only been driven only 4,764 miles, so he must be a really good salesman. If he, <laughs> 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 um, so some of the scenes were later reused as stock footage in the TV episode Never Give a Trucker an Even Break. Obvious scenes were used uh, were with the Red Valiant slamming into the fence. The use of the same Phantom truck in new TV footage, and the use of similar value in new TV footage. Unhappy over the discovery that footage from the movie was recycled and able to sue because the studio owned both the film and the Hulk series, Steven Spielberg insisted that all his future contracts have a clause designed to protect his films from being used as stock footage. Oh, wow. I had no idea. So it was actually in the Hulk a little bit, too. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, you know, I love so pissed, but is I the AT Wheeler. A Marvel super. It's, it's, a, Marvel, it's a Marvel. It's a Marvel villain. <laughs> it's in the MCU now, part of the multiverse. Right. All of it was shot on location. Obviously, watching it, you will understand why. Yeah. Uh, but also, that was a huge controversy during the time too, because they wanted them to film it just on like a, back lots, yeah, back lots kind of stuff where they yeah. had the movie. And they didn't scenery. really want the truck scenes chases like exactly. They, had, yeah. they, they just they didn't want the film part of the film. <laughs> Can you imagine watching this movie? 
And uh, the whole chase scene is just like him sitting in a car stationary. Oh no! Oh god! Yeah, with the with the scenery going by, you cannot act your way through that. That would have been awful. Um, Chuck's Cafe still exists today, which was well as of twenty twenty one. A French restaurant occupies the original structure in Santa Clarita, California. So if anybody lives in Santa Clarita and wants to go snap a picture here and show us the French restaurant that's, that's there, awesome. if it's still there. It's amazing if it's still there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the building's still there. Uh, Lucille Benson, who was the lady at the Snackarama, or sorry, Snakearama. Snakearama. <laughs> Kyle's would be the Snackarama. Did I say Snackarama? I thought it said no. Snackarama. No, I'm just saying if you owned a Snackarama. Oh, yeah, it's a me. It's Snackarama. snackarama. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she also appeared as a gas station attendant in Steven Spielberg's 1941. Two other characters Spielberg reasons in his other movies was the elderly couple in the car who featured as a couple in Close Encounters, as Kyle had stated, of the third kind. Yeah, it's cool. This is where he makes some relationships where he, like, I'm going to use these actors in other films, too. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, according to Richard Matheson, he was inspired to write the original short story Duel after an encounter with a tailgating truck driver on November 22nd, 1963. Kyle, what's that day famous for? Uh, I don't remember. That's the day JFK got assassinated. Oh, wow. So you so, got tailgated. <laughs> and for day. him, it's just like, that was the day I got tailgated. Yeah. The president died that day. What? Oh, no, no. It's the day I got tailgated. <laughs> uh, there is an elderly couple who drive by in, in the red car. The woman yells at the man to keep driving. A similar couple in a red car acts out the same ordeal in Back to the Future, of which Steven Spielberg was the executive producer. Hmm. Probably was his little idea of input there. Yeah. Although Steven Spielberg wanted Dennis Weaver from the beginning, Weaver actually wasn't signed until the evening before shooting was to begin. Yeah, I remember I read that story too, where it's like it was very difficult to get him on the role, but he was such a good actor that's like he's held the role entirely. I couldn't imagine anyone else doing this role, really. Yeah. Even though it's simple. Uh, who would you put in there? Burt Reynolds, maybe? Yeah, if it, yeah, if he was up for it at the time too. But I think like just kind of being like middle of the road kind of guy really kind of adds to its kind of uh, believability like if it was just a movie star actor Jackie Gleason it would have been distracting you know the fact that Dennis Weaver kind of looks like an everyman of that era really um, that mustache dude yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all in the mustache yeah. uh, since filming only took about 12 days it remains Steven Spielberg's personal benchmark for how quickly he can shoot a film so 12 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly uh, difficult timeline. I think it, they only gave him 11, but then he went over and went did 12, and they were very upset about that. But concerning his legacy, I think it was fine. <laughs> Steven Spielberg was shown seven different semi-trucks to choose from. He chose a Peterbilt because the cab resembled a face. Mm-hmm. Which, it, it's kind of creepy looking. It definitely has a personality to it. Yeah. Steven Spielberg was already a fan of writer Richard Matheson before he made this movie due to Matheson's contributions to the original television series, The Twilight Zone. In 1971, Steven Spielberg's secretary suggested the story to him after reading it in a Playboy magazine. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. I just got it for the article. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg means serious about that. Like, no, no, seriously. There's a really weird thing about a truck driving thing. I want to make a movie about that. What? Steven? They're, they're uh, the <laughs> Well, the value used in the film was actually three different cars. For the television release, there was a 1970 with a 318 V8. Uh, as witnessed by the 1970 only V8 spear type emblems on the forward portion of the front fenders, and a 1971 with a 225 slant six. When the added scenes were filmed, a 1972 Valiant with a 225 slant six was used. So three different of the Plymouths were used. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Steven Spielberg wanted David Mann's car to be red so it would stand out on the wide shots of the desert highways. And I noticed something when if you if you watch when I think it's towards the end of the movie where they're uh, going up. You remember he going up radiator the radiator blows yeah. or whatever. 
there's a scene where you know he's he's passed, and then that truck it's like a shadow on one side, and that truck comes around the, the turn and it blends in with the background. I thought that was really oh, cool. Oh yeah, yeah, it yeah. matched right in the desert. It looked just the same. Yeah, time. yeah, like a snake in the dirt kind of mm-hmm. kind of vibe. It's really, really cool. It's, it's creepy. It's good. Uh, when the truck enters the gate during the climax of the film, it actually hits the camera. In the last frame or so, you can see distortion and small pieces of the camera at the bottom right of the screen. Also, the shot is a flipped negative. Oops, I wonder how much that costs. Steven Spielberg can be seen reflected in the telephone booth during the scene where David Mann is calling the police. During his appearance on Inside the Actor's Studio, Spielberg admitted that this was not an intentional cameo, but instead was a mistake. He went on to state that several similar mistakes were revealed when the movie received a theatrical release in Europe, with 18 different occurrences where Spielberg could be seen because of the change in aspect ratio for theatrical release. Aspect ratio makes sense, too. And also, it's like, hey, I mean, this movie to be on a television screen. <laughs> probably, right. you know, probably have Well, we'll, we'll get to screen. it in the notes about um, where they wanted him to make it a full-length movie, and you'll be surprised at the scenes that were added. Because if they didn't add those scenes... It would have been just the car chase, basically. That's yeah, all it is. That's all it is. It's yeah. just the, the TV movie is kind of cooler because it's all just right, Kyle. The here you go. Gregory Peck was considered briefly to play the lead before we decided to make it to a TV movie. Would you think Gregory Peck could pull it off? Uh, I think he has a, kind of a similar vibe. He probably could have. Dennis Weaver did. I think yeah, just the throw best a mustache on him. Yeah, he'd start, throw a mustache on him when they're fine. <laughs> Steven Spielberg said that the multiple license plates on the front bumper of the truck suggested that the truck driver is a serial killer, which ran down other drivers in other states regularly. Yeah, I thought it was a cool detail for sure. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying every truck driver out there, because there's truck drivers out here that have multiple license plates on there. They're not all serial killers. Oh, yeah, oh, God, definitely, right. definitely, definitely. But it, it definitely carried that vibe that, like, he's like a, like a monster of this valley that he's just hunting down um, right. rude, rude people on the road. Uh, with its original runtime of only 74 minutes, the TV movie was not long enough to be released in theaters. Universal called Steven Spielberg back to shoot additional scenes in order to make it a 90-minute film. And here's the scenes, Kyle. You ready? Mm-hmm. The new scenes were the railroad crossing, the school bus, the scene where David phones his wife, and the opening scene where the car backs out of the garage and drives through the city. Yeah. What are you going to have after? I mean, I mean, just those two characters largely. You have the you have the cafe scene, and then you have you know. But what's it going to be? Just is it going to open him with them just passing the truck, and then because there's no story of yeah, yeah we just want to open him on the road immediately and all kind of stuff too not making a stop anywhere like it's kind of a cool film it's like it's it's laser focused in the 74 minute runtime um, on the TV's cut but on the movie cut it's like it is like kind of a, a weird scene where like the phone call scene that I feel was really like weird it, it goes on place. way too long like they're trying to build time <laughs> well it's like you know they're trying to build this backstory, which is never really thought of again. Yeah. You know he never calls his wife again after. Yeah, he never calls his wife again, and like nothing about that adds to his character. It's like he has a kind of a rocky he, relationship. He has a rocky relationship. Doesn't really add anything to him necessarily. Like he's just a regular guy. At that point. And he's calling up and apologizing yeah. for last night. And I'm like, why? You know, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, oh, well. it has the aspect where it feels like an episode of television more than it feels like a movie, which was a TV too. movie. Which it was so yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Kyle, here's. Take a, take a guess. David Mann looks in the rearview mirror how many times in this film? I'm going to say 35 times. 65 times. I was and how many? There. And how many times does he look over his shoulder? I'm going to say another 50. 54 times. Oh, Very I was close. <laughs> my, my wife was, I was up there watching upstairs and my wife's like, why does he keep turning around? Just try it. <laughs> Why does he keep turning around? <laughs> oh, it's funny. Uh, when Universal Pictures decides to shoot additional scenes in order to, uh, to increase the runtime and release the movie into theaters, they purchased additional trucks for these scenes. Only one of those trucks survives to this day. Here you go, Kyle. 
Dustin Hoffman was considered for David Mann. Oh, that would have been a great role too. Uh, once again, you, like, you know, who like, I, you know who I can see doing this movie. Who was the guy that was in the? Um, who was the detective that we did the movie on that you chose? Uh, which, ask the question again. The detective movie that we did that you chose. Oh, uh, Elliot Gold. Yes. From Long Goodbye. Yeah, I think he could have oh, been perfect in it. Gosh. That That's would be him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of Dennis Weaver's first film roles after he left the television series Gunsmoke. In one scene of the movie, Weaver's character stops for gas at a gas filling station. As he leaves the station in his car, the station worker is seen walking away with a stiff-legged walk, just like Weaver's Gunsmoke character, Chester Good. Wonder if that's fully intentional or not. <laughs> I'm guessing probably a nod yeah. to him. Yeah, it could be. Uh, Richard Matheson initially considered having David Mann's wife with him in the car to beef up the story. That that probably would have added more to the entire movie if they did it from the start. Um, probably worked for the TV movie too. I would like that. Idea. I had to go to that phone booth and call the police. <laughs> but then also, like, I'm, I'm sure that probably would been difficult from like a development standpoint because then you got to get the camera, you got to get Steven, and you got to get the wife in there in the film, and you got to pay her more probably. Well, yeah, the film would be more expensive, but also it's like more difficult just to shoot because that's a real bulky camera inside the car so many times. So it's like yeah. that'd be very difficult to shoot, I'm sure. And you know, it was shot really well too. Yes, yes, yes. I think like, but I feel like that definitely had the choice of like, hey, we can make sure we can have the camera guy in the passenger seat, and sometimes we need that, and it'd be difficult with a wife. <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg said. He relates the idea of the truck bullying the driver because it was similar to his childhood experiences of being bullied. When writer Richard Matheson got the idea for Duel after being hassled by a truck in real life, he wanted to make notes, but he had no paper in his friend's car, so he wrote on his personal mail. Later, while on set, he watched parts of the film being made at Chuck's Cafe. Matheson thought the people inside were actual customers. Spielberg was shooting around rather than professional actors. <laughs> wow, that's hilarious. Um... <laughs> Just walk around the whole day, thing like these guys haven't left all day. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I just love this place. Here you go, Kyle. This is something cool too, and you would never know it. But Spielberg praised how the truck was handled in an exceptionally safe manner by 50-year-old stunt driver uh, Carrie Lofton. Although it appears the truck is traveling at a recklessly unsafe speed along the winding California roads, it is actually not going more than 30 miles per hour. To get the sense of increased speed, Spielberg borrowed the special-made camera car from the 1968 Steve McQueen thriller Bullet, which could lower the camera to only six inches off the ground. Spielberg also filmed the vehicles against a background of cliffs, which, combined with upward-angle perspectives from the wheels, created an optic illusion of much faster speeds. So he's only going 30 miles an hour in that. That's it really looks bad. like he is hauling in that I movie. I didn't realize that that's really impressive. If I remember, to f- I, I had a YouTube video, actually, of the person who actually bought the um, truck after the film, like that, who actually who found the truck later and actually filmed the video, I think, like, last couple years, actually. Really cool. I'll share it on the Facebook page if I remember to do that, hopefully. But um, he demonstrates pretty well how difficult that truck actually is the drive so it really does stay into the stunt driver's credit how well they maneuver that vehicle because it's just a huge bulky thing you know built in the 70s obviously and it's just like a very difficult vehicle to handle so really impressive work there uh, actor yeah. dennis weaver does most of his own driving in the film however at director steven at director steven spielberg's request and insistence a stunt driver we used to perform the most uh, the more dangerous maneuvers and crashes and i have a question what why was he bleeding from his mouth when he just sideswiped a fence <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. Did he bite his lip? Yeah, very well could be the case, too. That was terrible. Uh, The Chuck's Cafe scene contains a signature Steven Spielberg technique, which he borrowed from directors Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock. David Mann enters the cafe, walks down the hall, enters the men's restroom, and conducts his business, leads back down the hall into the dining room, and spots the truck outside the window. All of this action is done in one continuous take without any breaks, also called in cinematic uh, parlance as a long take or a one-er. Uh, 
done in one shot. The entire shot takes 2 minutes and 45 seconds. This was filmed in the days before a steady cam, making it quite a difficult shot to capture without drawing attention to the camera operator's movements. Uh, Spielberg reuses this technique to heighten dramatic tension in every one of his films since. Yeah, you definitely see like him creating his visual language in this film, especially in yeah. respects too. And as well as I said earlier, like this is a precursor to Jaws in so many ways. I like too. Is this his first one ever? Yeah, this is this is his first. Well. It, Presumably, he probably has student films he did before this, but like this is this is like full on like he's being paid to make a movie for a production, you know. Too also love the voiceover of that diner scene too, where actually like like more so than like the talk of his wife, like he talks about being a Vietnam veteran, how he's getting the same kind of triggers of fear he had too, mm-hmm. indicating that he has some degree of like shell shock or you know PTSD after right. the war, and now he's back here being triggered again by this aggressive truck driver. Yeah, you know, I was you kind know. of expecting the movie to be like him being taken away in an ambulance or something like that, like he's insane. Oh yeah, like, he actually was really lost there. It. Like there was right. never a truck there; he just lost it. That's that would have been a twist I could have seen coming too. For sure, yeah. if Hitchcock was doing it, that probably would be. <laughs> that probably would be the twist. You're right. <laughs> uh, when Dennis Weaver pulls into the Snakeorama gas station, a red wagon can be seen in the background that reads "Doctor Stringfellow's Rejuvenator." This is the title of a Rod Serling's Night Gallery segment starring Forrest Tucker as the title character and Lou Frizzelli, the school bus driver, as a co-star. Yeah, I, it's kind of, I think it's funny in that location too because it's believable of a snakeorama being there. I guess as a as a weird tourist got like rattlers, and, but it's also that's my only python. It, it, it's <laughs> such a it's such a great contrived way of bringing more anxiety to the scene. I was like, oh, there's an evil truck driver. Oh, and there's snakes and spiders. Do you know what's even funnier is? That's one of the scenes that was originally in the movie. That's not one that was added. It wasn't one that was added. It was also just like, how do you make this scene more terrifying? As spiders, snakes, just well, add I mean, them. I don't know. We'll get to it about. We'll get to it. Dennis Weaver was so fond of this film that he watched it twice a year. That's awesome. Cool. He's very proud of it. That's great to hear. Uh, the scene be. where David Mann is trying to help the busload of children, the truck coming through the tunnel is seen. This is the same tunnel from Barnaby Jones's episode Loose Connection. So they see this in the TV show. Same there. canon. <laughs> Here you go, Kyle. This is kind of sad. For the 4K release of the TV cut, Universal did not want to do an actual restoration on the original film, but rather an AI upscale. Yeah, always crummy when they do that. But that's just um, the TV cut. That's it, it's becoming increasingly common, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Probably continue. Uh, Dennis Weaver was reported to have been a vegetarian from 1958 for ethical reasons. However, he did occasionally eat fish. This is one of the reasons he has a cheese sandwich at the cafe. <laughs> Kyle, you ever had a nice cheese sandwich? Not grilled cheese, just cheese sandwich. I remember I was on vacation in Mexico once, and I asked for a quesadilla, and they dropped me a cheese quesadilla. I was like, wow, this is (laughs) authentic. Very authentic. This is very cheesy. Thank you. Uh, While filming the shots where the truck drives off the cliff, uh, spoiler alert, a piece of machinery designed to keep the truck traveling in a straight line without a driver failed. Instead of calling a halt, the driver, who had an important engagement the next day, and didn't want to miss it, stayed in the driving seat and only jumped out the very last second before the truck went over. Oh That's God. why you can see the truck door yeah. open because I told my because I thought he was gonna the driver was gonna come up to him as he's sitting there looking over the cliff, you know, celebrating. Yeah. I said he's gonna come up behind him because the, tr- the door was open. Yeah. But it's just actually it was a safety precaution to jump real, out. Yeah. Because they only had that truck to, to crash. To do it once, yeah. Which is Amazing. Uh, yeah, so the truck going over the cliff was done in one take. It had to be because they couldn't afford other trucks with the film's very low budget. Yeah. At the film's climax, an unnatural, monstrous, animal-like roar can be heard from the truck crash uh, over the as it goes over the cliff. Steven Spielberg added this as he wanted to give it a final suggestion of the supernatural to the truck and its driver. Yeah, Network executives wanted the truck to explode after it went off the cliff, which 
it has flammable written on it the entire time. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, you think that same thing? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, of course, it's going to explode. But I also think it's a good subversion of your expectations. It's right. like, no, the film's not actually about that. It's about him well, surviving. However, yeah. Steven Spielberg argued against this. He wanted to show the truck, uh, the truck slowly dying, so audience could get a sense of payback. Since the truck had spent the entire film torturing the driver, which it does a good job because you see the wheels coming to a grinding halt. You see. Uh, some people wanted the truck driver to survive, but you see the blood on the steering yeah. wheel dripping. So, well, but you still yeah, never see him. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, it kind of seemed like maybe he did take that feedback to heart too when he went back and made Jaws and how it's like, hey, if let's put a potank tank in this shark's mouth. <laughs> see what happens. We got to cover Jaws sometime. Do. <laughs> um, so the dinosaur war effect heard as the truck goes with cliffs is originally from the land unknown. Spielberg later reused the sound effect after the shark is killed in Jaws to pay homage to, in his words, the kinship he felt these two films have of his have. Mm-hmm. The scene where the truck nearly kills David Mann by crashing into the phone booth while he was speaking to the police did not involve a stunt double. Dennis Weaver performed the entire sequence himself. The action was carefully plotted out using a series of flags along the truck's path marking distance to the booth. <laughs> Once the truck reached the final flag, the point of no return... Some 50 yards from the booth, Weaver was to have been out of the booth. If for some reason he was unable to exit by the time the truck reached out the, to that last flag, he was to veer off. Oh. <laughs> we can only do this once. We can only do this once. Yeah, yeah. We only have one dentist, guys. <laughs> uh, let's see here. During editing of the final scene where the truck plunges off the cliff, Spielberg immediately noted that one of the six cameras he had in place to capture the action managed to grab a continuous following shot of the truck's fall. This became the signature shot of the film as it captured an exceptionally good sequence of the truck and its tank flipping in and out of the dust until laying to rest upside down. As he uh, had only one opportunity to get the shot since there was only one truck, Spielberg remarked, that cameraman deserves a medal. It's incredible work on that part, too. I agree. And last but not least... The driver's door on the truck is wide open, which I just talked about. Uh, Someone plums over the stunt driver. uh, Carrie Lofton had to guide the truck to the edge and jumped out only moments before it went over. He attempted to slam the door shut just before jumping, but was unsuccessful, and it swung wide open. There was never any possibility of a do-over, so it had to remain in the film. To preclude any speculation that the driver had escaped the truck before the crash or any rumors of a possible sequel, duel, to It'd be dual, dual. Yeah, dueler. Uh, Dual square. Dual Uh, harder. (laughs) Spielberg filmed blood dripping from inside the cab of the wreckage to indicate the the driver was, in fact, dead. But not so fast, because... How many times have we seen Jason or Freddy or... Saga come back to the zombie truck. Right. Yeah. So Kyle, <laughs> Constantly stalking let's Dennis hear your thoughts film. on Duel. Yeah. I like this film a lot. I think it's a lot good of a primal emotions of fear and anxiety, especially on the road and those kind of aspects too. Um, also, it's a good period piece of just reflecting the world of time. Um, and uh, it's overall just a really solid film. And I love the fact that like without this, you, just, you don't have Jaws in the same way. You really don't. This is a precursor to Jaws in so many respects. And it's also... Also really cool just to see some of the like the quirks of Steven Spielberg's filmmaking having their start here and then like seeing how they progress throughout his entire filmography. It's one of those things like if you're a film head or a film nerd, it's worth watching just for that alone. So I really enjoyed it on those aspects. For the this movie is probably a seven out of ten where it's a really really good movie. Um, if not like a great movie though, because it's just like if you're not that kind of a fan of those kind of things, you're not going to get much out of it. Um, but if you are kind of like a big you know Spielberg buff, then like you are going to get a lot out of it, I think. So I appreciate it on that level, and uh, would recommend anyone watch it. You know, on that level. But as a general entertainment film, the film was you know okay. <laughs> it's a TV movie at the very end of the day, so it's like got to kind of like come at at those kind of terms and then kind of appreciate it on those terms. So um, yeah, overall I enjoyed it quite a bit. And 
and I'd recommend other people watch it on that level. Um, but besides that, I think I just kind of bring it to you, Jimbo. How do you feel about the film? Well, it it wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, the but I, but I kept telling my wife, I said this truck's going to explode. I said it has flammable. You followed it. I said flammable for over half the movie. I'm sure. Yeah. I said <laughs> you know, and it's something that captivates you like. Um, you didn't expect the truck driver to come back and push the school bus to get him going. Mm. Uh, but then it just stopped and waited for him. You see the truck stop on the side of the road and just every time he tries to pass it, it pulls out in front of him. And I really thought a cool scene would have been when, uh, you remember where he pulls over down the, on the side and there's a train tracks there and the train came by yeah. and it woke him up and he starts laughing. I thought if the truck was behind him right there, right after the would truck have been passed by, it would have been up. really funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, very well done. Um, I'd have to agree with you. Probably seven, seven and a half, maybe. Yeah. Um, but it's, 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 it's very, yeah. it's very action packed. Um, yeah. Now the, they threw some stuff in there, like the whole, the whole calling home thing. Even the opening scene, I didn't really, you know. Some lady said that some nice man came to her door and offered fifty dollars if they could film her garage, and it was Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um, One thing I'll say about this film is like. It would have been profoundly more mediocre without Spielberg directing it. I feel like I can imagine a much more boring version of this. Film well, the studio Spielberg executives saying. wanted there to be an explosion at the end. They wanted there to be an explosion, said, but they also said, wanted them to do backlock filming. All but he said do. no. Yeah. Yeah. He said you. They, the executives want that. He said then they find another director. He said because I'm not doing it. Yeah. Which I thought, but then again, I started thinking. Okay, so the truck's going that fast. Does it have to have all that fuel in it, or would it be empty? Or is this truck going to the graveyard to meet its final yeah. resting place? You know. Yeah. But like any other director, though, it would have been backlock filming something like that too, and uh, a, a, a different actor with Dennis Weaver going, "Oh no! Oh my gosh! I'm being followed by a truck for for seventy minutes, followed by one five minute explosion right at the very end, and no one would talk about this film for the next forty years." So you're saying <laughs> if Michael Bay did it, if Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bay. Well, great. He did commercials, then went to movies. So. <laughs> different eras, different eras. Can't compare that. All but right. I think like this film is exceptional because Spielberg did it in a way that no other no other director could have done it with this little film in this budget. Yeah. Right. All right. So there's our first movie of the 2024 season. Back to business as usual. Hope you guys enjoyed this film. Hope you give it a chance to watch it. Um, if you'd like to follow us, we are the Tragedy Cinema at gmail.com. If you want to leave us a review on Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever, we'll read it on the air. We got the social media pages. Forget, I do believe I have one or two we've got to read. Um, but, but next time, I picked out the movie An Officer and a Gentleman. So mm-hmm. we will be covering An Officer and a Gentleman. Uh, Kyle had never seen this before. So it's interesting to all right thanks for listening we love you guys with that being said i think this episode's coming to a close and that's a wrap and cut